Now, all of the AA program deals with the philosophy of living. We learn in AA how practically to adjust to the realities of life. However, the more we analyze these adjustments and this philosophy, the more we look into the techniques that are suggested to us, we suddenly realize that we can only fully understand how to live if we know how to die. The lesson of life is only really learned at the point of death. And that's the reason we were told centuries ago, in all thy works, O man, remember thy last end, and thou wilt never sin. Now there's no controversy about death. No one denies that this, that, or the other person will die. And the reason is because everybody who has lived, died. Everyone who has lived in this world has died. Go back to the scriptures. What do they tell us? They tell us that Adam lived 930 years. And then he died. <laughs> Seth lived 912 years. And then he died. Enos lived 905 years. And once more, those two little words wraps up a lifetime by saying he died. Methuselah who supposedly is the oldest living human being, who lived more years than any other person in this world, lived 969 years, but there again we find those two little words, he died. And so with David and Solomon and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and the apostles and Paul, even Christ himself, all telling us over and over again, it is appointed unto man once to die. If we ask nature, nature will tell us that we die. All nature tells us someday we're going to die. If we ask the sun that rises in the morning and slowly ascends to its zenith at midday and then sinks imperceptibly in the west at eventide and disappears, it will tell us that such is our life. We enter this world at birth. Then we grow into manhood and to womanhood, only to sink and disappear from this world in death. If we ask the seasons that follow one another, they will tell us that we are like the seasons. As summer follows spring and spring, winter and winter fall, and around the cycle that goes so in life, we follow our forefathers. Others follow ourselves. And again, others come after them. And on and on, each one closing his own chapter of life in death. If we ask the streams that flow through the meadows, the streams will tell us that we must die. They will tell us that life is like a stream. The first years are spent in obscurity, and then it hastens over rugged rocks, gloomy forests, yawning precipices, blooming landscapes on and on and on until at last the stream sinks into the silent ocean never to return. And it will tell us such is our life, a life of joy and sorrow, 
a life of pleasure and pain, a life of innocence and sin. We hurry on into that silent ocean of eternity, never more to return. If we ask history, history will tell us we're going to die. Where are the nations of old? Their glory. Where is the power that was Rome's? Where is the splendor of Egypt? The talent of Greece? Where are their leaders? The Napoleons, the Caesars, the Washingtons, the Hitlers. They're all dead. Right now, their glory and their splendor and their power is buried with them. Where are the companions of our youth? Remember the ones we went to the dance with? Many are dead. The ones we went to the parties with? Many are dead. Remember the ones we went to the bars with? Many are dead. The ones we went to school with? Every moment, statisticians tell us someone somewhere is dying. Right now, Somewhere, someone is dying, passing on into eternity. And someday, sooner or later, and soon at the latest, you and I shall travel that same path. And yet, we don't like to talk about death. We shun the thought of death. Why? You, you hear it. What do we say? He passed away. Or we go to awake and we say, oh, he looked like if he was asleep. How do we know how he looked like when he was asleep? <laughs> Everything, but he died. You know why? We shouldn't be afraid to die. We should have no fear of death. After all, death is merely knocking off work for all eternity. <laughs> then why do we fear death? <laughs> because we got a stinking suspicion that maybe we're not quite ready. <laughs> that if death came today, we wouldn't be quite ready to die. And that's the reason the Scriptures told us and tells us, In all thy works, O man, remember thy last end, and thou wilt never sin, because it is appointed unto man once to die. At the same time, as I mentioned in the beginning, it is only by facing the fact of death that we learn the fact of life. We only learn reality in all its nakedness when we learn death. Because as we look at death, so will we look at life. And the convictions we have about death are going to be the actions we have in life. It is the supreme equalizer. As the poet tells us, I'll sing you a song of the world and its ways and the many strange people we meet, from the rich man who rolls in his wealth to the struggling poor wretch on the street. But man, though he's poor and in tatters and rags, we should never affect to despise. But think of the adage, remember, my friends, six feet of earth makes us all one size. So let's take a look at death just for a moment. What is death? That's the end of life. Beyond that, you make your own decisions. Who's going to die? Me. <laughs> that big shot who I think so much of now, you know, 
who I always seek to be first, whom I always want to be at the head of everything, whom I never want to be hurt, that guy, someday, sooner or later, sooner or the latest, is going to die. Me. I'm going to die. When? I don't know. Ten years? Maybe. Ten months? Could happen. Ten days? Could happen. Ten minutes? It has happened. I was giving a very short dissertation on death as an example of meditation in one of the groups in Laporte, Indiana, 16 years ago, and I made this statement right after the meeting. One of the men dropped dead. I was given a retreat at Gethsemane, Kentucky, to AAs four years ago, and right after supper, as we were walking up the stairs, one of the men dropped dead. Well, the rest of them got on the program that night. (laughs) I remember one of the fellows who made our first retreat in Indianapolis 18 years ago. We had a trial balloon, as it were, a little one-day affair. And this guy's name was Bill. He was the one from whom I got the big AA book on a sick tall. And actually the one that really introduced me to AA. The day after the retreat, he died. Dropped dead. Bill had not made his first retreat only. Bill had made also his last retreat. But I look back, and after thinking, I can see Bill there many hours during that day in the chapel alone. Maybe he had a premonition. I don't know. But I feel sure that Bill was ready to die. Then I remember another case in the southern part of the country. The fellow had been sober for 14 years. He had a slip. They took him to the hospital, sobered him up. He called the nurse. He said, Nurse, I'm going to die, but I'm ready. And he dropped over dead. He was ready. Another fellow had a reservation for one of our retreats in Kentucky. And the fellows who were going to pick him up drove up to his house. He started to walk out to the car. He dropped dead. He had made his last retreat. I was in Texas one time, about to be introduced to the audience, and the fellow who was introducing me dropped dead. Now I wonder what all these people, all alcoholics, all members of AA, would tell us if they could come here tonight. I know what they would tell us. You know what they would tell us? We don't know when we're going to die. We're liable to die at any moment. Therefore, it behooves everyone now to find out how am I going to die. And that's the $64,000 question. Can I know how I'm going to die? Yes, we can. Am I going to die a friend of God or his enemy? Prepared or unprepared? Sober, or God forbid, drunk. But people have died drunk, haven't they? Ever see one died drunk? It's not a pretty picture. There's only one thought we should have when we see a person die drunk. And that is there, but for the grace of God, go I. 
And that gives us the conclusion to this premise that there's only one thing that will guarantee me a happy death prepared at death and that is the grace of God plus my goodwill. Money nor talents nor accomplishments nor relations nor material things in all the world none of these things can guarantee me a good death but the grace of God can. You know what the grace of God is? Well, uh, I could talk for hours on the grace of God. They have written books for centuries on the grace of God. But a little girl in class one day was asked by her teacher. And she gave an answer which I think has more wisdom than all the books that were ever written. And her answer to the teacher when she asked her, what is the grace of God? The little girl said, the grace of God is the temptation to do good. And therefore, the conclusion from this premise is that the only thing that will guarantee me a good death, the death that I'd like to have, is persistent and consistent dependence on God and His grace, day in and day out. And then no matter what day I die, God will see to it that I die well. Material things mean nothing. Do you remember the uh, story of the eight men? who met in a hotel in Chicago in 1923. They were eight of the most materially successful men in the world. The first one was the president of the largest independent steel company, a millionaire. The second one was the president of the largest public utilities company, a millionaire. The third was the president of the largest gas company in this country, a millionaire. The fourth was the greatest wheat speculator, a millionaire. The fifth, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, also a millionaire. The sixth, the member of the president's cabinet, a millionaire. The seventh, the greatest bear on Wall Street, a millionaire. The eighth, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, he too, a millionaire. However, in 1952... Just 29 short years later, these so-called eight great men gave to us this amazing picture. The first one, the president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, had died bankrupt. The second one, the president of the largest public utilities company, Samuel Insel, had died penniless in a foreign land. The third, the president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, died insane. The fourth, the greatest wheat speculator of the age, Arthur Cotton, died abroad bankrupt. The fifth, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, was prior to his death sentenced to Sing Sing Prison where he died. The sixth, the member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall was pardoned prior to his death from prison in order to die outside. The seventh, the greatest bear of Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The eighth, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, died a suicide. 
Sic transiat gloria mundi. Thus passes the glory of all things material. And so we might ask the poet, once again, speak history, who are life's victors? Unroll thy long annals and say, are these who the world call victors, who won the success of a day? Was it the martyrs or was it Nero? The Spartans who fell at Thermopylae's Christ? Or the Persians or was it Xerxes? Was it his judges or was it Socrates? Speak history. Who was life's victor? Was it Pilate or was it Christ? So therefore now, in order to uh, motivate us in putting our full dependence upon Almighty God and His grace as the primary fact that will guarantee that we'll die well, let's take a good look at the deathbed of a very, very close friend. You know who that friend is? <laughs> Our deathbed. Let's take a look. Who's dying? I'm dying. And either it's going to be quite a mess. <laughs> Could be. Could be drunk and die. And as I'm there alone, my friends have left me. My friends I knew in AA, ah, uh, they were a bunch of hypocrites. Of course, happy hypocrites, but they were a bunch of hypocrites, you know. My pride got a little bit worse on each binge. We didn't need AA. And then we have a vision at that moment. Perhaps we should call it a nightmare. The DTs, you know. The Brooklyn boys, <laughs> they come back in all their demoniacal cussedness in death as they haunted us many times in life. The DTs and were dying. I remember I was in the Indiana home in Indianapolis a few years back. That's our jitter joint <laughs> up in Indianapolis. And this fellow was dying with the DTs. To his uh, imagination, there were babies all over the bed. There was the vacant stare, the beads of perspiration upon his brow. And then slowly... The curtain of life fell, and drunk, he met his God. Possible? Sure. Thousands of people have died drunk. And we will, if we are dependent on anything or anybody except the grace of God. As A.A. tells us time and time again, there before the grace of God go I. And also, as the big AA book tells us, self-sufficiency is fine as far as it goes. But there always comes into the life of every man and woman when a problem confronts us, when self-sufficiency is not sufficient. At that moment, I must turn to a power greater than myself, whom we call God in the 12 steps, to solve the problem. And the one problem, that only God can solve is a good death. Let's take another look at our deathbed because it don't have to be that way. In fact, we can pretty well guarantee ourselves it will be just the opposite. Here we are again lying there dying. The day has arrived. 
The hours come, but we're not afraid. Why should we be afraid? This is not something new to us. This is something we have acquainted ourselves with in life. We are going to meet our Father, the God we used in our life, the God we met in AA, we used in AA, in our business, in our social life, in our pleasures, in our pains, in our sorrows, the same God, the same loving Father. Why should we be afraid? This is familiar ground. Through prayer and meditation we have over the years familiarized ourselves with this potential in our lives. And now we're ready. We're not afraid. You know, that's one thing I believe what most of us fear is that we will be afraid at the moment of death. But factually, I as a priest can say that most people are not fearful at the moment of death. I'll give you one example. It happened in my own family. Just a few months ago, my sister-in-law was dying. My brother had died some years ago, and they had 11 children, all grown, married. And I went out to see her, and she said, You know, Ralph, I've often wondered during life what it would be like when this moment comes. She said, I was always very much worried that I would be so afraid. But she says, I'm not afraid. She says, You know, I'm kind of anxious to get it over with. What a beautiful death. Why was she dying that way? Because of the grace of God. The grace to die well. It's quitting time. No more work. No more problems. No more all those difficulties that we have in life. No more slips. (laughs) We look around as we lie in there. And there we see in the room our friends and our loved ones, our family, all praying for us as we prayed for them in life and for ourselves. All together in prayer at that moment. And we too have a vision. But it's a beautiful vision. It's a vision wherein passes before our mental gaze are all those who we knew in life. All the thousands we met in Alcoholics Anonymous. Those we helped along the way. Those we gave a word to, a thought to, an hour to, a little time to. Those we gave sobriety to, those we sponsored, those we love and who loved us in turn. Those we prayed for, now praying for us. All there, and we're dying. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And there again, as we lie... On that bed, the curtain of life slowly falls and life begins. Life begins. All the work and the pains and the sufferings and the shame and the sin and everything else that we knew so much of in life is a thing of the past. Is that possible? Sure, it's possible. Is it probable? Sure, it is probable. It can be certain if we live each day as we would want to live on the day we die. For the maxim of life that bears so much truth is that as we live, we die. Therefore, if we live well each day, no matter what day we die, we're going to die well. And after all, and after all, That is all 
that matter. You know the funny thing about this death? It tells us we're appointed once to die. Everything else in life, we have a second chance. Sin, business, job, economy, health, there may be another chance. Death, one chance. No eraser. Just one chance. We're going to die only once. If we muff that... realizing all these things. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know where I'm going to die. I can know how I'm going to die if I live today as the day I'd like to live on the day I died. Now let's take just a moment and ask ourselves a few very pertinent questions. With the thought of death in our minds, how about those decisions that you're going to make? What would you do if you're going to die tonight about those decisions? That do, and you will die well. How about those resentments that we hug to the very core of our whole personality? Refuse to forgive. We condemn, we criticize, we resent. What would I do on the day I die? Wouldn't be so hard to get over those resentments, would it? Mm -mm. How about that pride that's pushing us all over the place? That pushes us always in the front. Makes us first. Tells us we're better. We're bigger. How about that pride on the day of death? <laughs> when we lie there, we're going to be buried six foot under the sod. No pride then. How about that drive for material things? That concern that the most important thing in life is material things. Remember the eight men? I wonder what they would tell us today if they could talk. How about that habit of gossip which is so common not only in AA but throughout the human race. That habit, you know, which as the old Roman poet Horace once wrote centuries ago, fama que crescit eundo which means gossip which so grows as it goes. Would I want the souls of those people who I have damned through my gossip on my soul on the day I die? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't talk about my neighbor if I was dying. <laughs> I would say he was a wonderful guy. <laughs> How about that slander? Making up stories and lies about my neighbor. Would I do that on the day I die? Mm -hmm. And all the criticisms of life. And then the intolerance. What difference would it make to me whether the other guy was a Catholic, Protestant, or Jew? I wouldn't condemn him. I would rather, in the words of Christ, has any man condemned you? Then I do not condemn you. We're all equally children of God with one Father who is God, our Savior. How about that bigotry? Bigotry of race. Bigotry of creed. Bigotry of color. Remember the story I told you? If we'd all hear that word on Judgment Day, Hello there, I'm the Lord. <laughs> How 
How about those dishonesties? A little dishonesty here and a little dishonesty there. Nobody knows it but me. Not a soul knows it but me and God. And it might not come back until the day I die. But if I were to die today, I wouldn't be tempted so easily to be dishonest. You know, in AA we find it so difficult to be honest. It's so difficult to rid ourselves of these faults and failings and these mistakes that we make. But you know, if we thought we were dying today, it would be an easy thing to do. That's where the value of meditation comes in our lives. Because meditation is meant to motivate our life by truth instead of excuses. And therefore, if I face up to death, with all these realities we have meditated about in the last half hour, then I'm going to motivate my life by the truth of death. And my life will be quite different, I'm sure, particularly inside. Decisions will be more so much easy uh, to be made. And all those things that separate us from God. How about that neglect of the habit of prayer? Remember, we're just a, we're going to get a habit of prayer one of these days, you know. We're going to start meditating. On the day you die, I'll guarantee you, you'll start meditating. <laughs> How about those things that excuse us from AA? That excuse us from the meetings, which is insurance. Excuse us from 12-step calls, because we're old-timers, we don't need it that excuses us from listening to our neighbor, that causes us to sidestep the problem children, not realizing that we needed an ear when we came into AA. How about those things on the day we're going to die? What would we do? That do. And then no matter what day we die, if we do this every day, we're going to die well. We're going to die well. So if we look back just for a moment, you and I, we came into AA a few months ago, perhaps a few, a few weeks ago, or a few years, or 10 years, 18, 20 years ago. And let's be honest with ourselves. Why are we here tonight? Why are we here tonight sober? Because God gave us the grace of sobriety through the help of AA and His mercy. Therefore, if we look at death and look at the gifts that God has given us in life, then just gratitude in itself will go us on to begin, not tomorrow, not next month, not next year, but today, tonight. To live as I'd like to live on the day I die. Now what are you going to do about all these things? Once more, I must tell you, that's your job. And may God love you and keep you. And as you go about your way, wherever you may be, in the sound of my voice, I can say to everyone, it's been awfully nice to know you. And say a prayer that when this guy comes to die too, that God too will take into consideration 
the weakness of human nature and with his divine mercy will grant that we all die well. Because if we all die well, I'll see you all again in eternity. May God bless you.